Welcome to the Women Shifting Gears podcast driven by Hemmings. I'm your host, Amanda Busick. Our podcast aims to introduce you to the inspirational women who showcase their talents and leaderships across the automotive and motorsports worlds. And even when I have my own moments of doubt and uncertainty, it is with this community of women that I'm reminded of what is possible. Thank you all for sharing in this space of authenticity with us. Here we go. Known as the car coach, Lauren Fix is a nationally recognized car expert, analyst, TV host, journalist, and more. Lauren showcases her expertise in providing viewers and followers an insider's perspective on many various automotive topics, the energy industry, consumer news, and safety issues. In just a few of her distinctions, Lauren has been inducted into the Women's Transportation Hall of Fame, is a board member for the North American Car Utility and Truck of the Year Awards, was named SEMA's Business Network Woman of the Year and Mentor of the Year, and is Oprah's go-to automotive expert. When she pauses from advising the millions of us on all things automotive, you'll find Lauren driving at a racetrack, a passion that has been with her since she was 16 years old. So if you've ever been afraid of walking into an auto body shop or buying a car, Lauren Fix is the one you want on your side, and the car coach joins us now on the Women Shifting Gears podcast, driven by Hemmings. Welcome to your weekly Women Shifting Gears podcast driven by Hemmings. On this week's episode, Lauren Fix joins us. She is known as the car coach. And Lauren, welcome in. I want to go back to the very, very, very beginning with you. I know automobiles and automotive has been part of your life for almost all of your life. What was your first introduction to cars? Well, it it was funny because my father had three cars in the garage. He had a 70 Barracuda. He had a 67 Corvette and he also had a 55 Thunderbird. So, and we had a boat. So everything always needed maintenance. And he was an engineer for the big three automakers living in Detroit, uh, Farmington Hills. And uh, so I would go out in the garage and my father was really smart. So he was one of those guys who was like not necessarily the most communicative, should I say. Um, so I would go out in the garage and say, what are you doing? And go, oh, I'm bleeding brakes. I'm like, what's that? And he, you want to help? Sure. So there was never, I became the tool jockey. I didn't know what I was even doing necessarily, but I love the fact that one, I was working with my dad and two, I got to work on cars, which was, you know, it's just, I found it interesting and no one ever told me you can't do that because you're a girl, you know? So that sort of led to like matchbox cars and stuff. I really wasn't into dolls. I always loved the cars. It just, I found it very fascinating that the mechanical side of things and as I got older, my father let me do other things. You know, we're changing the brake pads or, you know, we got to fix the trailer hitch or whatever it was. So it never really bothered me. And when I turned 15, I was a huge Rockford Files fan. I mean, I wanted a Firebird in the worst way. Could not afford one. I was working because my dad had a brake manufacturing company. But so I ended up buying a Camaro and I thought, okay, that'll do. It was probably one of the worst cars I ever owned. Um <laughs> But I brought it home. I had someone bring it home. I wasn't even able to drive at the time, change the oil, you know, waxed it, did everything. And boy, do you learn quickly when you make mistakes on your own car. And I did, you know, like you change the oil, but I didn't replace the filter, you know, silly things like that. Start over. But as I learned, you know, and I turned 16, I was able to drive. A friend of mine said, hey, listen, we're going to an autocross. And I go, what? I don't even know what that is. And he goes, oh, it's a bunch of pylons in a parking lot. And you you drive around it and the fastest person wins. I'm like, I'm in. I'm very competitive. I'm like, let's do it. So I didn't know. I showed up there in my horrible Camaro and and they had like fun runs. You could pay like a dollar. They don't even do that anymore. You pay like a dollar and you drive around the pylons and my times weren't that great. So I met a bunch of guys who were there, come there you know, came over to talk to me and they said, you know, the 
the problem is you've got a boat essentially, and it's got so much body rule and you don't have enough power. So they let me drive this Mustang and it was a manual and I knew how to drive a manual transmission. My father had taught me a long time ago. And I went out there and said, holy moly, like it was a 79 Mustang Cobra, which at the time was like the first of the lap. They had returned from those horrible Mustang twos to a 302 engine. And, you know, and they, they had a, it had two barrel motor, uh, carburetor on it, but eventually you could move it to four barrel. But uh, I drove it and I said, this is amazing. Like, what, what am I driving? Of course, literally that week I sold that Camaro. It was <laughs> gone. And I found myself a 79 Mustang Cobra and started modifying it and Started autocrossing, really love the people. That's the one thing I love about racing is the people are the best. You could have any kind of background. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. It doesn't matter what your background is. If you love cars, welcome to the family. And I think that was like the biggest thing for me. And the SCCA and Sports Car Club of America was very welcoming, very supportive. I was 16, mind you. So I needed a minor waiver. My mother refused to sign it. So I just forged her name. She knows. She knows now. She went <laughs> But then she didn't. Uh, I think she figured it out after a while. But I started doing really well. I went to the regionals and I won the Northeast Divisional Regions. Uh, I think I was 17. And at that time, someone said, hey, we're going to Nelson Ledges, which is kind of a good learning track, but not a great racetrack. Uh, but it's a, it's a sports car track. We need help working in the pits. So I went and I thought it was pretty cool. And I said, I, you know, I got to go racing. So sure enough, I couldn't afford it. I, had, I was like any kid in high school. I couldn't afford it. So the guy who is the running the pace car is a, still a friend of mine. He says, hey, you know, it's always get the girl in the passenger seat. Let's see if we can scare her. So he puts me in the passenger seat. Now, any race team, race series could have been behind me. It could have been Formula Fords, Formula V, showroom stock. No, it was GT1, which is pretty much early Trans Am. And I turn around and see this field of ground pounding Camaros, Corvettes, and Mustangs. I'm like, I'm doing that. So I got home and I gutted my car and put in a roll cage. And I know how to weld. So I welded my own roll cage. My mother thought it was absolutely crazy. My father was super supportive. Like, do it. If you want to do it, do it. <laughs> I'm putting in Recaro seats. You know, I'm putting in headers. I'm modifying the car. And I would show up at these. I started off at like solo one events with tires in the back. And everyone would go like, where's your boyfriend, your brother, your father, some guy to help you. I'm like, I got this. I know what I'm doing. And, and of course, one of my favorite stories is at Nelson Ledges, when I used to go, uh, some guy had a problem with his vehicle. And I went over and I looked and I said, oh, you blew a head gasket. And they looked at me and go, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, fine, whatever. And I walked away. He had blown a head gasket. <laughs> it's easy. Soon as coolant mixes with oil, you got a blown head gasket, okay? But they didn't want, afterwards, he came by and apologized. But it was really funny. It was one of those things that kind of said, okay, this is cool. Like, they don't expect women to know this stuff. But I did. And I never, I was never told... Sure. You couldn't, I was never squashed by my, by my parents to say, you know, girls only do this or boys only do this, or you shouldn't know about that. They just said, if this is what your passion is, then you should do that. And I've helped both my kids who are now adults with the same thing. My son was an actor. I spent a lot of time in Hollywood with him. Sure. He did a lot of big stuff until he woke up and he said, I like cars better. Okay. You did it. I didn't stop him, but I wanted him to make that decision. That's exactly what my dad did is he allowed me the opportunity and let me make the decision. And it was so funny because my mother would say to me, you'll find this to be true. Anyone that knows me, because my mother used to say to me, you're not going to be able to make any money, you know, doing all this. And I said, you never know. And she used to say, you have one mouth in two years. You need to shut up and listen. So it was, I'm sure parents have said that to a lot of kids. But 
<clears throat> it was funny because in 1992, I, I had done a bunch of local TV stuff like How to Drive and Winter and stuff like that. I live in Buffalo now. And <clears throat> I got a phone call from Harpo Productions, which is Oprah, in 1992. And they said they wanted me to come out and talk about driving in the winter. So that's when I said to my mother, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> no one's going to listen to me. You know, that's what it is. You know how that is when you're all kids. You look at your mom and go, you're wrong. You know, <laughs> so same kind of thing. So I worked with Oprah until the show ended. It started off very basic as like driving in winter. And then I didn't know if I was going to be on the show, but then I got asked to be on the show. And that's when I realized anyone who knows what I used to look like is I like night and day. I was about 40 pounds heavier. I have more on the reddish side of curly hair. I did no clue how to wear makeup, not a clue, but that's how I always was. But once I went on national TV and they did my hair and makeup, I got a call from an agent who said, yeah, like we need to make some changes if we're going to do something. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like changes? I'm like me. He says, you got to learn how to wear makeup, which was really challenging for me because that was not my thing. I never wore makeup. I didn't even own makeup. So when I would do TV hits, I would go to the mall. This is kind of a funny story. I'd go to the mall. You know, they go, oh, we'll do your makeup for free. And I would come home and I would sleep with a neck pillow sitting straight up. So in the <laughs> morning, my makeup was on because I didn't know how to put it on, nor did I own any of it. So that was like my little thing. I'd go to a different counter each time. So I had to learn how to wear makeup. And so when I got my hair changed, I, I went to New York. And my husband drops me off looking one way and picks me up. And I've got really dark straight hair, <laughs> cut shorter. And he's just like, oh, he goes, this is like being married to another woman. He goes, this is really crazy. So I went from, as he says, the moth to the butterfly. So I went from no maintenance to high maintenance. And now I've got the lashes, the nails, you know, got to do all the face stuff. And he just, he laughs. He's like, oh my God. But I've been married a long time. Uh, my last name is Fix. My married name is Fix. And um, I've been, oh God, 30, 34 years coming up on. But um, it, it's amazing when you think you're going to do something out of college. And mm -hmm. I have a degree in marketing with a minor in, in engineering because I thought I wanted to be an engineer. And I, I designed braking systems. I designed the first drum to disc brake conversion kit, putting disc brakes on cars that didn't have them. And I used to be the national sales manager at Stainless Steel Brakes Corporation. I sold out of that uh, when Classic Tube, which is our current company, just got so big that he needed me there every day. So we make preformed brake fuel transmission lines for restoration cars, but that's expanded into medical, which kept us alive during COVID, military stuff. We do all kinds of industrial applications. So you never know where you're going to go. But 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 that Oprah thing really changed things for me. I didn't get the Rachel Ray treatment, unfortunately. I did not get my own show. Although I did have a show on the DIY network for four years uh, with a guy named Steve Ford, who's a, still a very good friend of mine. He's an ASC master tech. I'm an ASC technician, but for breaks. And, and all that sort of made me start thinking that, God, there's got to be a lot of women out there that don't know anything about cars. And now there's a lot of guys that don't know anything about cars. Yeah. I definitely want to break into that, especially getting into the Oprah uh, and kind of like that being a launch pad of your career. But uh, going back to, um, you know, back to those teenage years when you started to, I guess, maybe discover your passion uh, for cars, what did your friends and, you know, your other, other women in school, what did they think of that? How oh, they all knew I was different. I was not popular in school. All my friends were guys and I'm still friends with a few of them. Um, and it's so funny because when um, Tim Packman, who lives in North Carolina, he works with NASCAR, you may have come across him. He went to high school with me. And so we were at a mid-Ohio race. It was him and Jeff Mullins who developed all the seat forming uh, for the Indy cars. So we all went to high school together. We were all car friends. 
So it was kind of neat to get us all back together. But the guys, I, I believe me, I had trouble dating guys because they, I was a tomboy. You know, they just kind of like, she doesn't look like a girl. You know what I mean? I did. But I mean, if you saw the difference between what I look like in high school and what I look like today, you'd be like, whoa, like the only thing that's the same is the eyes and the voice. And I'm coming up on a high school reunion and I love showing up because no one, they're like, did we go to school together? I'm like, yes, we did. Just the eyes and the voice. Everything else has changed. But that, that's kind of the cool thing. Uh, my friends that were girls, I had a couple girlfriends, maybe three that I can think of that I still talk to. And they just knew I was different, but they were different too. So we never judged each other. It's a different time era in the 80s. And they, they you know, we, we'd go to parties and whatever. But to me, it was like people were like out spending money on liquor. And I'm like, kidding? I got to buy tires for my race car. <laughs> you know, I'm looking at comp TARs, you know, I, got, I, I, I can't do that. <laughs> we talk often about women being in the left seat. And I love that not only are you in the left seat, you're racing in the left seat. What about the, maybe the speed or just even <clears throat> the lap times? What inspired you? Well, from autocross and solo one, I, I have a couple of interesting stories that I don't tell too often. How I decided I was going to go from solo one racing to road racing. I was at a solo one event. It was run by a group out of Cleveland and they said at Nelson Ledges and I, I knew that track really well. I had taught there and everything. They said, you can't run with the guys. You have to run in the women's class. I'm like, how does the, my answer, because I'm really strong on this, I go, how does a car know I'm female or male? How does a car know who's behind the wheel? It doesn't. Either you can drive or you can't. I said, so I want to run in the guys class. And they, they pushed back on me. And I said, yeah, I said, if I beat you, then we'll see. And they're like, fine, whatever. They just didn't want to deal with me, whatever. So they put me in with the guys. And there were like two women in the women's class. Some, you know, they're just like wives that kind of like, all right, I'll drive. I really don't want to drive. But I didn't want that because it was an easy win. I want I wanted to be competitive. So at the end of that weekend, I broke the track record in that class for this group, and I won. So that shut them right down. So believe me, I've, I, I actually just did a podcast yesterday for somebody, and we were talking about all the obstacles and hurdles. And believe me, I've had them. I've had a lot of pushback over the years, even recently, with jerks. But you know what? It's how you respond to it is is critical. Either you cry and go, oh, you hurt my feelings and blah, blah, blah. Or you go, oh, yeah? How about this? And you come back at them. And they, I don't think they ever realize they're poking a lion, but they poke a pretty big lion. <laughs> but I usually win. And in the end, they either apologize or we just don't talk. So either way, it's fine with me. <laughs> Do you feel like you always had that sense of self or was it something that you learned over the years? I think that and plus reading. I read a lot of books. There was a book that I don't know, like certain movies and things like Heart Like a Wheel with uh, Shirley Maldowney was inspiring to me. I, I must have seen it a million times. Gloria, what's her name? Georgia Mossbacher did a book called Feminine Force. And I'm not a feminist or anything. I think, you know, whatever you are, you are. That's totally great. Um, there's another book called, I've got a lot of great books, Winning Without Intimidation. I've done a lot of interesting things in my time. I was even an Amway distributor. My girlfriend got me into it. And at first I thought, oh, whatever. I don't want to do sales. I can sell snow to the Eskimos. But I went to one of the, the big events with her. And the speakers were so inspiring to me. But one of them, I, I don't even have his name written down. But I do remember what he said. He said, give your kids roots and wings, not loots and things. And certain things like that, when you hear little phrases or you read something, it just triggers. I'm really big on guerrilla marketing. I go back to the old grassroots, talk to people, get down where they are, 
And that's how you're going to help more people than having this whole upper level, no one can approach you kind of thing. I'm not like that at all. I'll talk to anybody. So you're in college, you have this idea, you know, the plan is you're going to go into engineering or some sort of thing. And then uh, lo and behold, uh, you divert into a broadcasting television career. Uh, I want to now dive into that uh, heading out to Chicago and, and working with Oprah. I'd have to imagine, I mean, this is something at this point now driving in the winter or you know, being familiar with an automobile, this is something that is just your life. This is what is synonymous with you. It's what you know. Does it ever surprise you the lack of confidence women have with their cars or with automobiles? Yeah, I think the worst thing anyone can say, male or female, is when you walk into a repair shop and you go, I don't know anything about cars because it's like, oh, good, because I got some stuff to sell you that you really don't need. Let me get you some left turn signal fluid, muffler bearings, you know, (laughs) usually they're not that bad. But they will try to sell you up, upsell you into things or make you buy things you really aren't needing. So I, I really love helping people to, to say, you know what? You actually have the information right in front of you. You know that little book in the glove box underneath all the napkins and ketchup packs? That's your owner's manual and it has a service schedule in it. And if you don't have a service schedule, the Car Care Council offers one for free. And, and the thing is, knowledge is power. And that's true in any subject. Any subject. You could be talking about stock market. Knowledge is power, right? You want to talk about crypto? Knowledge is power. And so I always say, if you know something about your vehicle, you will save money, especially with the cost of gasoline. You can make wiser decisions and you don't ignore things that are important. Like people say, well, that check engine light, it's going to shut off. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's going to cost you at the pump. It's emissions related or it's engine related and it's going to cost you more the longer you wait. So if I can give you little nuggets that you can go, like I said, those little little phrases, a nugget, something you don't forget, that's more powerful to you. It'll save everybody money. So if people took care of their cars, they would keep them longer and they would save money. I'm not saying don't buy a new car, but right now you can't even get one. Yeah, so, sure. so it's a catch 22. So you keep what you got and take care of it like you would with anything. At what point did you know in those earlier years, and I'm sure that at, at that point it's still you know, little gigs here and there. When did you know you could make a career out of this? You know, that's funny. Uh, In 1986, my first opportunity was on Motor Week. And uh, a friend of mine named Craig Singhouse was there. He was a producer. He was also an on-camera talent. And he said, hey, you know, you should be a dealer trainer. I go, what the heck is a dealer trainer? Because you go to the dealers, you teach them about the new cars. He goes, you know, you, you know so much about cars. It'd be so cool to see it from a female. I said, okay. And the time it was $200 a day. And I'm like, so I told my dad I was working for him. I said, I'm going to go do this. He goes, you should. See, again, he never told me not to. Unfortunately, he's no longer with me because I think he'd be surprised how far I've taken this. But but he's watching in spirit from above, trust me, every day. So I said, all right, I'll do it. And first thing is that here I am, an educated person out chasing pylons in a parking lot. You can get a kid to do that. And I said, this is this is crazy. So I went to the person who ran the company that did all the training. And I said, you realize I have a marketing degree, an engineering degree. And she said, it was a woman who owned it. She said, next opportunity, we'll give you a shot. What happened to be Oklahoma City, and it was right after the bombing. So no one was very humorous. No one was very lighthearted. Everyone was pretty solemn. And they were like, I'm here because I have to be here. Everyone was kind of dealing with whatever they had to deal with. And it was funny. So I got up there and and she says, your job is going to be to talk about these tires. And they were called Uniroyal Run Flats, and they were on a they were on a minivan. 
So I said, do you have a drill laying around here? She's like, yeah, I guess so. So someone brought me an actual drill. So I got these people and they're like stone cold. I'm like, how am I going to motivate these people? How am I going to get these people to laugh? Because when you laugh, it lightens the mood. People feel like they're learning something and it's not just I'm sitting here because I have to. So I said, well, look at these Uniroyal tires. They're run flats. And I had seen this before on television, so I knew I could do it. There used to be a guy named, uh, what's his name, Horowitz. He used to have like a consumer show. So I took the drill and I drill it right into the tread of the tire. And I go, look at that. It doesn't go flat. That's a Uniroyal run flat. That's what you want to sell your customers. They won't have flat tires. And they're like, wow. So we got this whole great conversation. So the lady who ran the event saw it and she said, you're great. You're hired. You're now doing the marketing for this. The best part was the next city, I did not look to see if they put the Uniroyal run flats on and I drilled a hole into a Michelin tire and I hear, and I'm like, oh, everybody started laughing. So it was not a big deal. They had to plug the tire, but but it, it was one of those things that was, you don't forget it and it sort of elevated me to the next level and the feedback was really good and I became a lead facilitator and that was great. So now, now I'm on the road like 10 weeks at a time. I'm barely at my dad's place. I, when I was there, I was working when I wasn't, I trained all the sales guys, so they were all totally fine, but the pay was really phenomenal. And till 9-11, I was in Jersey City. We were training uh, for Nissan on the Altima and Every single trainer that was there was from the West Coast. So they really didn't have a grasp of New York. How Everybody in New like I have a home in New York also in the city. So New York, Philly, New Jersey, everyone, Connecticut, everyone kind of knows everybody. That's sort of like the way, you know, it, it is. Everyone kind of knows somebody, a family or relative. So what ended up happening was after the first plane hit the tower, I, I was training all the managers and all the owners of the facilities because I had like all the, the top guys. I told him, I said, go. And I got in trouble for it. And I said, you know what? This is a sign from God. It's time to close that chapter and move on to another. So I finished the tour after all that hideous stuff happened. And I moved on thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do. But I always say when one door closes, two doors open, and suddenly I'm getting opportunities to test drive cars and review them. And I'm like, okay. So I started doing that in early 2000. By 2001, things started building to the point that this is a full-time job. Like, and I, I work from home and kids are coming home from school. I go, this is freaking awesome. I'm getting cars every week, sometimes two, sometimes three cars. I'm reviewing them. I got to keep them for a week and I return the cars. I'm like, this is great. And this is when YouTube started. So I've been on YouTube for a long time. I didn't really push it hard. It was a lot of writing. Now I'm pushing it hard for the last few years, but I'm literally in every form of social media, even ones that you go, nobody's on Tumblr. I still post on Tumblr, you know, but I'm on, <laughs> I'm on everything. Parlor, Gab, MeWe, Instagram, Getter, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. You, I'm on everything because I have to be, because I don't know where people are anymore. So you have to go where people live and everybody lives in a different area. And I don't care where you stand politically. You need a car and I don't care what you do for a living. You need a car. I don't care what your life is like. You have some sort of transportation and or you use some form of transportation. So if I can empower you, then I've succeeded at giving you car smarts. When did the car coach era start for you? I, I built car smarts first. And my girlfriend, who taught me how to wear makeup, <laughs> <laughs> said, you need it. You need it like a handle. And my husband was against it. He says, you don't see Martha Stewart saying, Martha Stewart, home ec expert. You know, and I said, yeah. But I kept the car coach thing going. So my son convinced me to do car coach reports, which is, we switched that just a few years ago. I'm still the car coach. But 
we started doing that around the mid nineties. I'd have to actually look to see when I registered as a trademark, but it, it sort of, I, I thought I needed a handle because, you know what I mean? Sort of like something to describe what I do. Um, but it's, it's really been helpful in some respects. I do a lot of work with the Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts, teaching them about cars. I do everything from local churches that ask me to come out or seniors groups, you know, just a lot of different, I never know who's going to call. So it's great. So I'm happy to help people. And like I said, knowledge is power, car smarts and, and car coach reports has just been sort of like the overarching thing. The company's name is automotive aspects. I do a lot of consulting for other companies, uh, consulting for people in the industry, outside the industry. So I never know who's going to call. So that's, what's kind of cool about what my new career has become. (laughs) A lot of times we focus on this podcast of some of the challenges that women may face within their industry, but I actually want to go on the other side of it. Uh, you know, going back to those car reviews or are there any benefits to being a female in these positions? I think you need to used to be, uh, I think there's a lot of changes now. I love how the car manufacturers are like, we're going to sell to women. You've been selling to women for a long time. Yeah. Women own 62% of the cars on the road. We have 85% of the buying decision and 95% veto power. Those are huge numbers. So what I use it as, I, I never use, and I'm a female. I don't do that. Either you know it, you don't, I don't care. Because that's not how I've ever competed. So when I ran to be uh, president of North American Car and Truck of the Year, I never said vote for me because I'm a woman. That's ridiculous. Like a car doesn't know the difference. Either I'm good at what I do and I know my stuff or I don't. And so that's kind of been how I I took it. And I brought the, they call it the Noctoy Awards to a whole new level. We are now one of the top three awards. It's Motor Trend, Car and Driver and Noctoy. But I was just asked last year to be on the World Car Jury. So that's a huge honor. That's a global thing. Uh, And there's a lot of women and interesting women from around the world there's one female who's in India. She is the only female car reviewer in the whole country. Wow. Because their culture isn't that way. And I thought, wow, to me, that was really cool. <laughs> She's a really nice lady. Um, but it, it, I don't ever, I've never used, and I'm a woman. It's either you can talk the talk and walk the walk or you yep. can't. And I think that's the best way to fight some of the hurdles, roadblocks, potholes, pardon all the car puns, that we all deal with. Certain people will love you for it. Other people will not like you because they feel threatened. That's their problem, not mine. And uh, I always say, and I've said this before, that if someone asks you a question like, and I used to get this a lot because I used to do a lot of mail order sales. Oh, so I've got a 65 Mustang with a six cylinder. And I would reply with not yes. I'd say, oh, so you have four lugs instead of five. You need to have five lugs to put this disc brake kit on. And you could hear silence at the other end of the phone because they're like, Okay, so this person does know what they're talking about. So unfortunately, what we have to do as women in this business, at least the automotive business, is you can't just answer with yes or I know. You have to say yes and some qualifying fact. And then they're like, okay, she knows what she's talking about. You know what I mean? I I had somebody yesterday trying to talk to me about an LS swap. I'm like, okay, that's like really doesn't, that doesn't apply to the average person, but I can answer that question. And I told them, I said, just email me and we'll talk. But um, I've written three books. Uh, I've been through a lot of driving ambitions. I did the tire and wheel handbook for motor books. And my last book is Lauren Fix's Guide to Loving Your Car. And that's for St. Martin's Press. And I'm, you know, I still promote that. And I ran a driving school at Watkins Glen from 87 to 2001. We still have people that have been through my school that are racing professionally today, including my husband. 
So I taught him how to drive. <laughs> That's kind of my fun story because he's raced prototypes. He's raced in Europe, but he's faster than me. I'm a wonderful teacher, apparently, and not as great of a driver, but I still race. So going back to what you said of, you know, there is does seem to be more of a focus from corporations of of knowing that they're selling to women. But I have to imagine that uh, in a way or not in a way, you definitely were able to influence and touch women way before it was trendy or popular. Did you ever get any feedback or any kind of um, compliment that you remember that was kind of special? Oh, I've had some really interesting compliments from interesting people throughout the years. I think sometimes it's, it's, I won't name any names. We'll just say that I knew Carol Shelby very well. Um, I have some on the back of my books. Uh, I have quotes from people that have worked with me. It's just kind of neat when people come up to you and, and they know who you are. And, and then they're like, oh, I'm a big fan or something. I'm like, really? Like, I'm just me. I just do. Like, we all do that. You know, like, you do the same thing, Amanda. You do what you do because you love it. And if someone comes up to you and goes, oh, my God, I'm such a huge fan. You're like, oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do it for fan base. We do it because we love what we do and we're helping people and we're informing people. And And I think that's kind of neat. So I, I've had a lot of really wonderful experiences. And even on social media, I'll have people that I don't think have a clue who I am from all walks of life. They'll, they'll connect to me on like LinkedIn or on some other platform and say, oh, I'm a big fan or I, I like what you do. And I'm like, really? You know who I am? Like it's Okay. Yeah, it's cool. It's, it's cool. <laughs> Where do you think if you were to give a sort of, um, and I know it's probably a long list, but one thing that women can have to be equipped with when they're going into these buying decisions with cars or even the maintenance session, the right. walking into a maintenance <laughs> shop, what's something that women can, can do to equip themselves with that confidence? There's a couple of places online that will make life easier for you. Sometimes it's just a matter of, I don't, I don't know what's wrong. Someone told me it was a ball joint. What the heck's a ball joint? Okay, that's fine. You can go to websites like RepairPal and you type in your year, make, and model. And it'll tell you what the cost is of the part, the labor. And then it'll give you like a bell curve to tell you what the pricing is. And it'll explain why it goes bad. So that's one site you can use. Another one is Car Advise, A-D-V-I-S-E. And you can then pick where you want to go and then shop, actually shop the different repair shops and then book it, pay for it all in advance. So you just pull in, get the work done and leave and you won't be tricked. Um, so that's, and you can always up if you need something else when you're there and have them show you. So the one thing I always tell people is if you don't understand and that's fine, you don't have, I, if I break my arm and I, you show me an x-ray, I'm going to go and the, the doctor's going to go, see where well, you broke your arm. Right? And you go, Oh yeah. I, I'm not a radiologist. I'm not a doctor, but you can do the same thing with your car. Someone says, oh, your brakes are bad. Your natural reaction is like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to have to pay for that. I put on my credit card, I guess. Instead, say, show me. Take me back to the shop and show me my car and explain to me what's wrong. I will promise you, all the technicians love to explain it because they never get that opportunity. Oh, well, you see these brake pads are worn in this caliper. You know, the pistons are coming out and, you know, the brake fluid's coming out really dark brown. You should replace it every two years. All that stuff, they will love to tell you. All you have to do is say, show me. Don't ever say, I know nothing. Because as soon as you say you know nothing, someone's going to take advantage of you. So if you use those tools, no matter whether you're male, female, whatever you are, and you say, show me, you will learn something. They're passionate enough to tell you, and you won't get ripped off. But at least you know what you're paying for. 
When someone says to you that the automobile is dying or that the automotive space is dying, what do you say? Mm -hmm. No way. Matter of fact, right now I'm working with a company called USA Motor Jobs. There are so many job openings in the auto industry. It's crazy. Whether you have an electric vehicle, you have a hybrid vehicle, you have a gasoline-powered diesel, they need repair. And people aren't getting rid of their cars like a cell phone. Oh, every year I just throw it out and get another one. You don't do that with your car. They're too expensive. The average age of a car on the road is about 14 years old, and it's going to get older with the shortage of cars. So the the space itself, whether if you are looking for a job, they're every level from top to bottom. You want to work at a corporate level? Go on those websites. You will see there's tons of job openings. Ford, GM, Hyundai, Kia, they're all over the U.S. They all have manufacturing plants. They all have marketing positions, accounting, you know, legal, whatever it might be. And on top of that, the other thing that people don't think about is on the dealer level, that's a local business this a, or a local chain. So if you're talking like a CarMax or you want to work at your local dealer, they're looking for service writers. They pay a premium for women, for for, for uh, writers. In addition to that, you'll find that we need salespeople, we need parts people. So you don't have to get your hands greasy. You want to be a mechanic? Mechanic's not the same thing anymore. You're not getting a wrench and getting out there and getting dirty. You First thing you do is you hook up a computer. So if you've got computer knowledge, you're good at gaming and you love cars, that you should absolutely look in the auto industry. USA Motor Jobs is also, they have a Canada Motor Jobs as well. You'd be surprised the jobs all across the country and great opportunities. And there's a premium, by the way, for diesel mechanics. If you are you're a diesel mechanic and you're thinking about changing jobs, they're paying a premium to get people at certain companies. So don't think the industry is dying. It is not dying. We are half of the Dow Jones. If you take the whole automotive industry, tires, everything combined, it's half of the Dow Jones. So we're not going anywhere. Lauren Fix on the Women Shifting Gears podcast, driven by Hemmings. It is time for the hot lap. Lauren, you're on a road trip. Where are you headed? Oh, it's got to be a racetrack. Where else would it be? Uh, Watkins Glen. That's a great one. You're in the left seat. Who's in the right seat? My husband. <laughs> What's on the radio? Oh, 80s, first wave all the time. Any road snacks that you prefer? Yeah, I do. It's funny. I'm a pork rind person. Oh, okay. I give it you can get some of those at Bucky's. You can get those at Bucky's and they have great flavors. <laughs> the reason I do that is I'm paleo, so I don't eat wheat or dairy. So I'm always a bottle of water, a coffee, and a big bag of pork rinds. <laughs> what are you driving? Oh, well, my if it's my daily driver, I have a Porsche Cayenne diesel and I love it. If it's my toy, uh, it's either a 2020 Shelby GT500 or a 2019 Porsche GT3 RS Vysock. In your bio, you mentioned that you inherited the love of automobiles and automotive from your father. You said something earlier about giving your children roots and wings. What roots did your dad give you? Uh, probably the same kind of thing that my father that I gave my kids that I, my father gave me is if you love, if you do what you love and love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And that has been like, I have that sign in my apartment in New York City. It has always been very powerful to me because if a lot of people are miserable in their jobs, then don't do it. Find something else. Find another career. There's other, I know it's very difficult to leave sometimes, but if you find something you love, like I'm sure Amanda, you love what you do. I can tell you're so passionate. You're not working. This is great. What are we doing? Let's do it. And and you love life more. And and that was the wings that my father gave me is that if you want something, go get it. Envision what you want, figure out how to get there, make a reverse path, and then 
start working your way toward your goals. And I did. And there was times I have to say, and we've all been there, where there's a fork in the road and you have to make a decision. I've been there too. Sometimes they're not good forks, but I've made the right decision when you look back. So don't look back, look forward, learn from your mistakes. We all make them and do something that you love and you'll be a happy person. What was your father's name? His name was, real name was Hans Georg Jonas, but they called him George Jonas. And he was the founder of Stainless Steel Brakes Corporation. Uh, he only wanted to do Corvettes. I told him there's other cars out there, Dad. And we, we expanded from there. Thank you, Lauren. We appreciate your time on the Women Shifting Gears podcast, driven by Hemmings. Thank you. This Women Shifting Gears podcast, driven by Hemmings, is a production of GS Events.